Welcome, Jade. I'm so glad to get to talk to you again. Thank you. Hey, hey, yeah. begin with an opening of my altar here as this is consecrated space and and even when we engage in talking it's within the context of the sacred so i want to activate that at this time Grandfather Fire, Grandmother Cedar, I join you sacreds here in holy union that you might bring forth in our midst creation in the manner of balance and harmony. Holy Earth Mother, receive us in a nurturing embrace that our bodies be strong, healthy, and vital. Sky Father, rain your blessings upon us that we may awaken in the joy of life. You read of the East, knowledge bringer. Awaken within us each the truth of our own spirit's purpose, path, and calling. You yellow of the South, life bringer. Provide for us the field of opportunity for the experience and expression of our spirit's truth here in our lives. You black of the West, you old woman of forgiveness and surrender, open wide your arms and loving embrace to receive those things found in our lives to be contrary to the truth of our spirit's calling. You white of the North, you old man of healing and wisdom, blow your gentle wind into our hearts. Heal us of our wounds that we may set forth with wisdom into this world. And I'm going to begin with an eagle calling song, as it is the eagle who's the mythic progenitor, the bringer and founder of these ways. Mm -hmm. 
your protection, your sanctification, and your presence in these works we embark upon at this time. Okay. Consecrated and opened. Thank you. So... I I just I just um, wanted to make a comment about the the eagle shaman, and you know I've I've known you as an eagle shaman, you know since the beginning. But that's not not all shamans are eagle shamans, right? No, no. no. Uh, it's kind of like in Reiki, you have different lineages. Okay. or in uh, chiropractic or in, in any um, discipline. You have different lineages. So the eagle is a particular lineage. Mm. I also happen to be bear shaman. So mm. it's another lineage that is made present within me. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, they're, they're different types of shamans. And how does that happen? Do they choose you? Does it just happen to be who you learned with? Or do you choose it? Like, It's a combination of being plucked by the spirit. Yeah. Okay, here you are. This is what you're doing. So, you know, <laughs> who plucked me? You know, was it the eagle? Was it the bear? Was it the deer? Was it, you know? So that's part of it, but also it's uh, the lineage that one comes from and what is the nature of that lineage? Is it a bear lineage, an eagle lineage, uh, some other lineage? And then it's cultural context. So, you know, my, my grandpa Pena, he was the old man who was my predecessor and mentor. He happened to be Native American. He was from the San Juan Pueblo uh, in northern New Mexico. And he was very clear. He said, I'm not a medicine man. Mm. I'm Tehuacé. Tehuacé, in his language, means bear shaman. Mm. He was that bear lineage. Oh. And oh, so, 
here I thought he was Eagle Shaman and he was the one who <laughs> passed that to he you. Okay. The bear shaman. Yeah. And bear shamans are more healing modalities. Okay. Eagle shamans, we are more the pathway of wisdom. Uh-huh. Ah. Ooh. Okay. So I actually had a conversation last week with a, an old friend who, you know, she really got into shamanism in the shamanism light version back in the 90s in the height of the new age and did a lot of shamanic journeying like with the Center for Shamanic Studies or whoever, you know, Michael Harner's work and all of all of that whole scene. And and I had learned, you know, I had done some of those kind of journeys, you know, where you go looking for your power animal. And I understand now that it is not the same <laughs> as what you do at all on any channel or wavelength. That's like not even. Uh, but anyway, when I, you know, when I was first introduced to that and went for my power animal, the power animal that came to me, the first one that came to me, because you can get multiples in that system, um, was an eagle. And I've always kind of like kept that, like, and it's just been a thing, you know, mm -hmm. for me, but obviously I, you know, I'm not a shaman. Um, and I just wondered, like, what are your thoughts about that? And when you say it's the path of wisdom, I really connect with that. And so, you know, what is your take on those kinds of, you know, shamanic identifications, I guess you would say that sort of happened for uh what are we we're we're like um what are we the opposite of professionals <laughs> amateurs <laughs> civilians you know well again because you know me you know that i'm going to provide a broader context yeah. uh rather than a, a short quick answer so okay okay i will launch into that <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, let me say that any relationship with the other, an animal spirit, a guide, uh, these spirits, is relationship. Mm -hmm. That's what it's based upon, is relationship. And so there was a time I was coming down from Colorado uh, back to where I lived in Sedona, Arizona, and my truck broke down in Gallup, right outside Gallup. So I had it towed to a, a safe place and there was a phone booth back then it was pre cell phones. <laughs> yes, young ones, there was a time. <laughs> <laughs> and so I called my brother who lived in Cornville, Arizona, near Sedona and said, Hey bro, I'm broke down Gallup. I need a tow home. Yeah. Okay. He said, let me call work, let him know I won't be in tomorrow. And uh, okay, you're about three, three and a half hours. I'll, I'll head out there tonight and we'll sleep in our vehicles and I'll, I'll hook you up and tow you back in the morning. That's great. Thanks. No problem. And he did. Why would he do that? Hmm. Because he's my brother. Hmm. And that's what brothers and sisters do for each other when we have a good relationship we're there for each other had i in that phone booth opened the phone book ran my finger randomly down the page and dialed a number 
Hello, uh, John Smith. You don't know me. My name is Jade Watugugori. Um, and I'm broke down here near Fairtown. I need a tow home to Sedona, Arizona. Click. <laughs> you don't know me. Why would he, you know, just hangs up. Because there's no relationship there. Had I called my uncle, who lived in Apache Junction, Arizona, explained my situation, he wouldn't have come towed me. He would have sent a tow truck, but he wouldn't himself have come to get me. Had I called my grandma Naomi, the matriarch of our clan up in Colorado, explained my situation. Well, of course, you know, she'd be an older woman. She wouldn't come tow me. What she would do is give me an ear banging. Wow, you got to take care of those things, those vehicles. They don't grow on trees. You can't be all the time walking around with your head up in the spirit world. You got to keep your feet on the ground. Take care of things here in the world, too. How much is it going to take to fix it? A Western Union you. That's what a grandma would do. And you can be dang sure that when I were to visit her next, I better have a bouquet of roses in my hand and a handful of beads. That's the nature of relationship. It's no different with eagle spirit, bear spirit, a plant spirit, whatever it is, mm. based in relationship. And so you have to intimately have a relationship with that herb before you be calling it, you know, your, your medicine with that animal before you say, oh, I saw it three times in a dream or in a journey into the underworld. And so uh, it's my spirit animal. I was like, well, you know, it's relationship like that. So that's, that's the first element of that. And then based upon that relationship. So again, a, a further story. My grandpa Pena. I met him when he was 96. I was young, type 24. We were both hunters. He had lived his entire life by hunting. He had gone out on buffalo hunts with his grandfather, like on horseback with bow and arrow and lances. I mean, this guy was old. I mean, he lived that life. Yeah. So here he was 100 years old. And he went up on the hill behind his house. He made a prayer and called a deer to himself. With a single shot, 22 rifle, he shot it. Field dressed it, carried it on his shoulders, this old man, down the hill to his cabin. Skinned it. Gave the skin to his niece to Indian tan. Turned it into buckskin. And then when she returned it, he presented that hide to me, his grandson. I pass to you my dear medicine. And so I, in receiving it, wasn't like, oh, cool, I got your medicine now. Hey, guys, I got your medicine. Look, look, oh, let me put a post up. I got your medicine. No. It's like, what do I do to earn this? and to learn this. 
And I really gave that consideration. My grandpa had always told me, is you've got to make yourself worthy. Hmm. What does that mean to make myself worthy? And so I had to sit with that and, and do what I knew I had to do to put the pieces together and clear things up. So I was worthy of such a gift. Mm-hmm. And only then could I begin to engage with it in that manner of relationship to learn it. And when I felt I was ready, I let my grandpa know. He then contacted two of his cohorts, two other native elders, and two younger medicine men who are my cohorts, friends of mine. And on the appointed day, we went together up into the mountains, into this broad meadow surrounded by mountains and forests. And we sat in a semicircle, me in the middle, the elders and my bros on either side of me. And I then had to call a deer out of the forest to me. Not just, oh, look, there went a deer. But rather, call it. Mm-hmm. Call it. So that it came right up to me, not to one of the others, it came up to me. And I then put my hand out on its face. And then released it. And all of a sudden, went, what am I doing here? Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> so, you know what those elders said to me? Those old men sitting around? Hmm, good. That was it. There you go. Oh, wow, you did such good. Hey, did you see how he did? No. No. <laughs> Acknowledgement, and that's it. That's all was necessary. Only then was I qualified to say deer was my spirit animal, that I carried deer medicine. And could I then use it and engage it on behalf of people? So it's quite a bit different than, you know, journeying into the underworld and seeing a vision of an animal. So, I mean, that's such a powerful story and that like, I feel very humbled, <laughs> by that. you know, sort of uh, like what it takes to hold, you know, a medicine is a lot more than just even like having regular shamanic journeys, I feel like is what you're saying. And I totally get that. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm also thinking that surely there's, there's some you know, maybe it's sort of the equivalent of being friends versus being married, you know, where you can have a regular relationship with a, you know, a spirit animal, you just aren't a fully vested, you know, yeah, person. Um, but it is, it is a really powerful distinction. <laughs> and I was, or, when just because that? you attend mass, doesn't mean that you're qualified to perform a mass. Excellent. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's true. Um, man. So when you were telling that story, I was curious, like, you know, if you felt like you could share a little bit about like what you had to do to be worthy of deer medicine without going into stuff you don't want to go into, but like just to give a little flavor of like, what does that even mean? 
you know, I'm sure it's not like performing a hundred rituals, um, but. No, it really is more the inner work. It's like, the, I would say it was more like polishing up, cleaning up, really getting into refinement with dedication, mm -hmm. commitment. I'm really in this for real. Mm -hmm. This is something I'm doing. This is my life. Mm -hmm. And so it's like making those commitments intentfully mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then and then someone who carries deer medicine what do they use that for other than calling deer for a hunt when people think of deer and deer medicine they think of gentleness and innocence and vulnerability and we refer to that as the Bambi syndrome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's where people get that impression of deers from Bambi. Yeah. Nothing whatsoever to do with deer. Deer's, oh, it's a warrior. I mean, look, it's got those pointy, sharp things on its head. Well, oh. the males do, but there are female deer. <laughs> there are females who also have antlers and different species of deer. Wow. But nonetheless, the overall context of deer is that deer knows the forest. Mm. Deer knows the forest. It knows every blade of grass and every dewdrop, every tree, every hill, every herb. Deer knows the forest. Mm. That's how we relate to it. And so that's what we call upon deer for. So the forest is itself you might say representative of our celestial soul, our high self, mm. which is also the blueprint of who we are. Or, or maybe use the image of a film and the light of creation shining through that film projects an image into the 3D world that is us, body, mind, and emotions. Mm. So that's the forest. And so when deer goes into the forest, if there's a spring that is dried up, deer notices it and it begins to bubble forth and flow once again. Mm. If a rock has fallen, deer notices it and it goes back to its originating position. The clouds are roiling and tumbling and out of harmony. Deer notices it, and the clouds move smoothly. The cot puffs once again. The spring is our endocrine system. Rocks, those are bones. So either a subluxated bone or a broken bone. Deer notices it, and the bone heals. Clouds are thoughts. Deer notices the roiling, tumbling thoughts, chaos, and ah, they come at ease again. Mm. So deer is a healer. Deer sets a right. Deer returns the forest to its original state. Mm. Wow. And then we send eagle in to set it into firmness. Kind of like epoxy. 
know, <laughs> deer and eagle. And when they mix, it boom, it's a done deal like that. And so say more about that. Like, why is eagle medicine that that aspect? And how does that relate to the wisdom and everything else? I feel like eagle is a protector as well. There is no why about it. It's just that's what it is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime we ask why, <laughs> the path of consciousness investigating who did what to whom, why, how, did I, whereas spirit is isness. Those <sighs> what is. And so along the spirit path, we never ask why. That's the metaphysical. Okay. Spirit's path is we embrace the fullness, the totality of the experience of what is. And so eagle sets into firmness the work that deer has done. There's no why, there's just the isness. That's what happens. So if you don't have eagle medicine and you just have deer medicine, is your medicine not as strong for healing? <sighs> Um, you don't want to get into compare and no, <laughs> compare. I'm, not. No. I'm seeking the right framework. That. I would say, in essence, well, that doesn't happen. You can't send deer into the forest if you don't have eagle to guide the way. Ah. So it would never happen. Oh, 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 so fascinating. Okay. And that, that realm of overlap is we as humans. So we, as individual humans, have our own resonance. Deer has its resonance. Eagle has its own. Merge those, and we come up with a harmonic. That enables that healing and firmness to occur. So there's this synthesized overlap. And if the human weren't there in the equation, deer and, and eagle would just be deer and eagle. Mm -hmm. If eagle weren't there, it would just be deer and human, or if deer weren't there, it would just be eagle and human. You need all three to make it happen. So, but if you just have human and deer, that's a different kind of um, potential and, and medicine than if you have them both, right? Or if you just have human and eagle, they're not gonna be doing the same kind of doctoring as you described, but will they do something else? Other kinds of work? Yeah, and you can't have one without the other. <laughs> but you were just describing. Ah. I would say yes. trying to follow. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a harmonic. Okay. Um, and so, but yeah. you're you acquired deer medicine at a certain stage in your development, and I'm assuming that, or so, did you acquire? eagle medicine around the same time did they sort of run in tandem with each other or? i purchased at walmart quite 
much earlier. I, I acquired, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, use that word acquire. And it's like, I sound like, per, um, I had established that relationship with Eagle much earlier in my life. Yes. And Eagle is kind of like an umbrella under which so much other can, you know, like an Eagle's wings over its, its young, you know, mother Eagle. She shelters her young. There's so many others under there. Mm. And so it goes like that with all the different medicines, you know, different spirits. They all are sheltered, all embraced by eagle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know that the South American shamans tend to have condor in the same position as eagle. Yeah, as far, as far as I know, it seems to be that way. Yeah. So I was curious if it sort of functions similarly for them or. Do not know precisely how and what Condor does in their mythic topography. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if it's used in a similar way as Eagle or something totally different, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. This kind of leads into the topic that I was curious about when I asked you to come back and that's the you know about healing and shamanism and like how does it work when you're using shamanism for healing and obviously healing can be you know healing the mind healing the spirit healing the body healing the emotions um healing your life um but i was specifically curious about you know more um, physical healing like you know what you call medical or health healing and how how shamanism functions and operates to affect a physical healing. And I understand there's a relationship <laughs> between mind, body, and spirit. Um, but it's, you know, I, uh, I had done a couple of shamanic journeys using the, um, you know, journeying with, with Eagle Brother you know, for your heart's desires and Eagle Brother eats the snakes of darkness in the underworld that are preventing you from connecting with your heart's desires. And I had done some journeys recently for the physical pain I've been uh, experiencing. And I, and I just noticed how, how healing was coming to me um, in ways that I didn't expect. Um, it was definitely not like a, I think a lot of people think about, you know, shamanic healing sort of happening like by transmission and like you get up and you feel better, you know, like the magic, like mm -hmm. hands-on healing. And I've never experienced that with shamanism, with anything in my life. Um, I've found that it operates in other ways. So I wanted you to talk about that and also to talk and in reference to your own like you know physical health and things you know because you've had some things recently so i think beginning with a personal reference is it uh seven years ago i initially suffered heart failure not a heart attack but a heart failure um uh, bradycardia, they called it, where the electrical nodes in the heart weren't producing enough electrical spark to keep the chambers pumping properly. 
And someone was having conversation with me at that point. And their statement to me was, well, Jade, you have a hardened heart and you need to soften up your heart in order to heal. This person didn't even really know me. I'm like, yeah. do you have any clue? I mean, ask any of my friends, my family, the people know me. I, I tend to think they would severely disagree with you about me having a hard heart. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not known for that. I'm, I'm kind of like a very open-hearted kind of guy. Huh? I mean, not that I'm in denial of areas where my heart might be you know, hardened or needs some work, but it just is a blanket statement. I was like, what? Well, you know, any physical condition has, has a spiritual origin. I said, no, it doesn't. In fact, I know what the, the condition was sourced in origin. I got hit by lightning in 1987 and fried the electrical circuits of my body. And over time, those that were injured just debilitated, debilitated to the point where they were no, were no longer functional. And so now I require a pacemaker to keep my heart beating. So it originated with being struck by lightning, not from some body-mind connection. Now, there is such thing as a body-mind connection, particularly in relationship to stress and, and things of that nature. But that is different than a spirit body-mind connection. Mm. One doesn't necessarily predicate the other. So there's this assumption out there that if you are a healer, shamanic or otherwise, that somehow you're not allowed to be sick. You're not allowed to be ill. That somehow that would be a sign that you're not authentic or true to your path or that you have shadow stuff unresolved. Yeah. It's like, what a bunch of hogwash. There's nothing to do with that whatsoever. That's like saying that a plumber would never have an impingement of a hot water flow through the pipes in his house due to uh, you know mineral buildup because he's a plumber. That's like, well, you know, that happens over time. Minerals build up. I know certainly a plumber recognizes and says, okay, I know what to do about that. You know, got to clean the system out. But it doesn't mean that the plumber is immune from clogged toilets and, and slow flowing water lines. Or that mechanic never has a flat tire. I mean, this, these are just sillinesses that would never be applied to anyone else anywhere else. And yet, somehow, people want to project those beliefs upon people in the healing field that we're somehow perfect in our health. And if not, then it's a sign that we're dysfunctional. So, I mean, I really feel like what you're saying about that is, is so relevant in a lot of ways to stuff I've been thinking about. Um, I feel like 
not really so much in your field, but there's, there's all these other arenas that I seem to intersect with where, you know, this striving for perfection yeah. seems like a real problem. And, and it's really, that's, it inflicts teachers and healers in specific, like there's a weird thing with that going on. And it's, I think there's like, what I'm looking at specifically is not so much like the solid grounded teachers and healers, but the ones, I'm sorry if I'm not offending too many people, but the ones who are out there kind of like more in a, you know, sort of celebrity mode, you know, and they're sort of using their charisma to, you know, create a career, but, you know, it trickles down to the people who follow them. And I think what I've noticed is that there's a lot of pressure that like ordinary people who sort of follow these people put on themselves to like be perfect and, you Mm -hmm. know, create your dream life and all that crap. (laughs) And I think it's all part of this thing that you're talking about. Many, many years ago, Marianne Williamson uh, was very much into spirituality equals prosperity, consciousness. She was? Oh, God, that was her thing. What? I'm offended. Then, oh, and then she went to India. And while there, she made a public worldwide statement says, I was wrong. I was wrong. I have met some of the most enlightened, advanced people who live in abject poverty. There is no connection between one's spirituality and one's poverty. That is circumstantial. I was like, I honor this woman. I mean, I even to this day, I remember that she had that that grace and humbleness to admit publicly that she was wrong about that. Wow. Yes. Good on you, woman. Good on you. Is that, though, that, I mean, even your reaction was like, ooh, it's kind of offensive that somebody would promote that. And yet, it's the same concept that's promoted amongst healers and spiritual people that somehow your health is a direct expression of your spirituality mm-hmm. without yeah. taking into consideration getting struck by lightning or growing up in abject poverty and not having proper nutrition, you know, that somehow that's a reflection of your spirituality. And, and, you know, like beyond that, cause like I do, there is a part of me that sometimes goes back to like, you know, you talk about the celestial realm, like being the blueprint for your experience. Like who's mm-hmm. to say that that illness isn't in the blueprint and that like you get to experience what it's like to like have a disability or have a debilitating illness so that you can grow in wisdom and deep, you know, and deepen your experience of being alive. Like, like I feel like the idea that an illness or a disability is a punishment is such limited, small-minded thinking. And it's part of the problem. I agree with your last statement with the addition that 
it is the same with thinking that an illness is a gift provided by spirit to enable your growth. Okay. That is as if to say the spirit, the spirit, your spirit, my spirit provides us with the lessons and opportunities of growth and learning through violation, desecration, degradation, punishment. You know, for example, somebody who's been molested, raped. Yeah. Is that spirit providing them a lesson for them to grow? No spirit I want any association with. Thank you. It's not the workings of spirit. I know it's tricky. And I think, and I think it's an interesting thing to grapple with because on the one hand, I sometimes have seen, like, I feel like my own major illness was in some ways meant to be, it always has felt like that. It was part of my path. I was going to do this. And yet to look at every illness and point fingers and say, oh, that was God's will. This was your destiny. I think that's an totally ridiculous and people do a lot of harm by you know saying that because then you have to also lump in you know people who had their arms chopped off by machetes in a genocide like oh that was meant to be for you and it's like no <laughs> right, to, to inspire compassion in the world yeah, <laughs> it's like no because also shit happens you know bad things happen to good people you know the mill goes on and like you know it I feel like it's where I've come to with that is that it's a potpourri and you really have to, you know, listen and, and inquire deeply into the specifics, you know, life and circumstances to like understand it more. And maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe just what matters is what you do with it. You know, I don't know. What do you there, For me, there's a crux of it. I mean, I, I acknowledge out front, I'm a practitioner of liberation shamanism. Okay. And we embrace the isness of all experiences. It's the isness. There is no meant to be. There is mm. no truth. There is no great, like, you know, setup. Rather, rather than these are lessons, opportunities for my growth and learning. And it's like, this is what's happened. How can I derive some value from this and apply my creative intelligence to learn something from this event. Mm -hmm. And so it's what we draw from it. It's not being done to us by for a purpose. Or for a purpose, yeah. Yeah. And so that's where the liberation, we, we liberate ourselves from the conceptual structures of external deity mm -hmm. and being done to. The universe isn't doing anything to us. The universe just is what we derive from it is up to us. Uh huh. And so that's why I feel like the thing of free will versus um, destiny, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, that the answer that Daniel likes to give, which is that you have the, what is it? You have the, you have the, the free, freedom. The destiny or something like that. To accept what you must do. I feel like that's bullshit, honestly. Because if we're really saying it is what it is and what you do with it is up to you, then what are you talking about? You have the freedom to accept what you must do. Yeah, I, for me, that's 
a thing that I never got on board with, with astrology or a lot of those systems is that we're destined. You know, that astrology determines our destiny. It's like, no, it's more like a roadmap. Here's what you're going to encounter along the way. You know, it's up to you whether you want to go over that hill or go around it. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think of it as like the, like I, this is my itinerary for my trip. We're going to land here in this country. The weather is probably going to be like this. You pack your bags for this. Right. But then after that, I mean, you, so you are constrained. World, I want to go over there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can just, you know, throw away your itinerary or you can follow it exactly. I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of. Yeah. Um, hmm. All right. So back to then, nonetheless, still you practice healing, you practice, you know, shamanic healing. Um, and, you know, some of it is geared towards the body and physical health. So if you if someone comes to you and they have you know some sort of like so if someone were to come to you with a, a heart a heart um an injured heart like that what can shamanism treat that well, here's the thing people think that's what it's about oh. it's not <laughs> rather we're each born with our spirits purpose path truth calling intact through the course of life, you know, the choices we make, the misinformed choices, the bad choices, you know, the, the sufferings, the abuse, the malignment, the exigencies of life, we can end up living our life over here. And it's in that gap between how we're living our life and what our authentic original purpose is, that is in that gap that disease, discord, and dysfunction occurs because we're out of alignment. And so the nature of the shamanic work is to assist and enable a person to get back in touch with their authentic original path to the degree that that person embraces that and utilizes the work that's being done. That gap is thereby narrowed and there's a less of a field of opportunity for disease, discord, and dysfunction to occur. The consequence is the person says, wow, that ceremony healed me that guy or gal is a healer well no we only helped the person get back on the trail it's kind of like out for a walk in the forest you know and you've been bushwhacking you run across somebody and where the hell am I? oh you want to be on this trail come on i'll show you the way that's all it is so so then back around to your your experience like track that mm -hmm. back because clearly, so I mean, you're not saying that like, if a person gets back on track, they will always heal. I don't think you're saying that, are you? You're just saying that it's more likely for healing to occur. It provides a greater opportunity for that healing to occur if the obstacles and impediments are out of the way. Mm. Those realizations can come in any number of ways of, you know, proper diet, exercise, nutrition, I mean, whatever it might be, as well as stress reduction, so on and so forth. But all that's what a person does with it. I think it gets back to something you brought up earlier, is the concept of perfection. Mm -hmm. So I want to utilize this 
this fire and this cedar to express that. So grandfather fire, the primordial masculine principle of creator. Grandmother cedar, physical matter, earth, the primordial feminine principle of creator. I join you sacreds, not just physical elements, but they're sacred, they're embodied sacred in a holy union that you might bring forth in our midst creation in the manner of balance and harmony. And so we've joined fire, the hot coal, earth with the cedar. So we have fire and earth. Water emits in the form of the smoke. Smoke is primarily water vapor. Scent, so air in the form of the scent. So we have the four elements of creation now. By our attention upon this act of creation in our midst, the four elements being generated, we bring that fifth and all important element, that of spirit. So we bring spirit into the equation. So wherever we hold our attention, there is our experience of life. And so when we hold our attention upon this act of creation in our midst, there's our experience of life. Creation is born and is ongoing. It's not something which happened some billions of years ago. It's happening every moment. Creation is expressed in a manner of balance and harmony. Not perfection, balance and harmony. For if something were perfect, it would have nowhere left to go and it would cease movement. But the very nature of balance is movement. Mm. You know, I wire, move forth and back, side to side. That's how we maintain our balance. Mm -hmm. So it is in life. We're always moving. Balance is a dynamic, yeah. not a static state. Not a static, yes. Yeah. So if something were perfect, it would cease movement and would no longer be in balance. Yeah. Harmony implies relationship. One cannot be harmonious into themselves. It's always with the other that we're in harmony. And so duality. So harmony implies duality, relationship. And so if something or someone were perfect, they would be a singularity, unified singularity consciousness. an island into themselves. They would have no relationship. Nothing else would be of their equal. Mm. They would have no relationship. Mm. And so they would no longer be in harmony. So perfection is a static concept of nowhere else to go, lacking movement, of a singularity, whole and complete into itself, lacking relationship and therefore harmony. So we don't seek perfection. It doesn't exist in nature. What we seek rather is harmony and balance. In the state of harmony and balance, life happens. I mean, I think we all seek harmony and balance. I know I seek it in my life. But you know, when the neighbor's dog starts going off at 3 a.m., whoa, 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 whoa. Heck up, dang, sleep. You know, bang. Um, out of harmony, I'm out of balance. Well, 
So it goes. I'm human. That's life. But I have a way of reestablishing that through mm -hmm. meditative practices, putting cedar upon the fire, mm -hmm. because there is creation in harmony and balance being generated by holding my attention with it. Ooh, I return to harmony and balance. That's what we do with the cedar. Mm. And so when we cedar somebody off or smudge, as people call it these days, it's not something being done to you by the cedar smoke. It's your attention returns you to that center of balance and harmony. It's an engagement. It's not something being done to you. So we accept the exigencies and situations of life simply that they are not good or bad. They just are. And it's up to us to derive value and significance from them and apply that in our life. So one thing, I mean, you know, I want to sort of bring this back around to the idea of shamanic healing, you know, helping you to come back into alignment with your original intent or your, um, say again, the words, how you describe that. Your authentic spirit's purpose, path, truth, and calm. Okay. So the other part of your story about your, your heart, um, your heart failure seven years mm -hmm. ago is, I mean, I, some people have heard this, but my audience won't have heard it. It's so dramatic. Sounds to me like a, the most dramatic version of getting back <laughs> into alignment that I've ever heard. And it happened like all in this like crazy span of, uh, you know, what, less than an hour in the hospital? <sighs> yeah. So that was Nuts. about a year after the initial heart failure and, and hospitalization, where they informed me as well that my aortic valve was degraded and it needed replacing. Mm. And there again, it wasn't because I was degraded in my mind and emotions. I had a mild case of scarlet fever when I was a kid. Mm. And a known consequence of that is the degradation of the aortic valve. And if you live long enough, which I had, then, you know, it just falls apart. Mm. And so they went in and replaced it, gave me a prosthetic valve. Everything went fine in that surgery. Uh, I was on September 1st, just a couple days before my daughter's birthday, who was there at the hospital with me. She was about to turn 23. Surgery went fine. I did open heart surgery, cracked me open. The surgeon went in, made an incision in the heart, cut out the old valve, put in the prosthetic, stitched it in, closed the incision, stitched it up, and then put my rib cage back and laced it up like a turkey <laughs> stainless oh, steel lacing everything went fine i was on the cart going back to icu for recuperation and unexpectedly i came out of anesthesia now God. under anesthesia they don't give you pain medication 
I just had my heart ripped open, literally. And the pain was so immense that I was screaming so loud. They heard me throughout the hospital. The pain, the shock, the trauma raised my blood pressure so high that it literally burst the stitches in my heart. And I bled out, lost 75% of my blood. And I died right there on the, uh, the cart. My surgeon had enough presence to recognize what had happened, unlaced me, opened me up again, went in, confirmed it, stuck his finger in the hole in my heart, stitched up around it, cinched it in, pumped me full of blood. It was too late. I was gone. And so they wheeled me into ICU. And after seven minutes, they said, too late, you know. They disconnected me, took the oxygen off me. I mean, you know, I was dead. Brain dead, heart dead, oh, dead, dead. And so the surgeon had to go out to my daughter in the waiting room and Explained to her, he said, I'm sorry, miss, your dad didn't make it. And my daughter, of course, was just 22, almost 23 years old. And then 13 minutes later, he comes back out again. He says, Miss, uh, um, we don't we don't know what's going on here, but all of a sudden your dad's heart starts beating again on its own. As we have no idea how that happened, but we're going to do everything we can to revive him. But I have to tell you, he's had no oxygen to his brain for 13 minutes. And brain degradation starts at three minutes. He says, even if we can revive him, he'll be in a persistent vegetative state the rest of his life under medical care, which is a fate worse than death particularly to your daughter, you know. <laughs> so they wheeled me into a room for recovery. And then I came up out of that like coma state and there was my daughter sitting at the end of my bed. And I said something, hey Fiona, I guess it went okay. And she oh, dad, you did so great. You know, everything went so well. The doctor said you'll be going home early. Everything was wonderful. I said, oh, well, that's good news. I started slipping back in. And then I went, why does my daughter have long hair? She had just shaved her head because a dear friend of hers was undergoing chemo. And so she shaved her her head in concert with, with her. Why does my daughter have long hair? And I realized, oh, I died. This is the afterlife. No, I'm going back. And I jumped. Kind of like using that analogy of losing your trail in the forest. Wasn't that far away from it, so I bushwhacked over to the original trail. I jumped. And I came up out of coma and said, hey, Fiona, 
I guess everything went okay. And she said, oh, was how we lost to. And as I was sliding back in, I, she's got short hair. I got back okay. I went back under. So I literally had died, proceeded on into the afterlife, which is not heaven now. You just continue on. You know, wherever your attention is, there's your experience of life. And so this one that I come from is now an empty hologram, and this hologram is now vivified. And so that would be my life. But I jumped back to the original path. Now, two days later, my surgeon comes into my recovery room, taps on the door, he opens it, sees I'm awake, steps out, looks both ways down the hall, steps in quickly, turns around, closes the door and locks it. He comes to sit at the end of my bed. He said, Mr. Gugori, you're a spiritual man, I can tell. I'm going, the heck? <laughs> <laughs> and certainly I hadn't mentioned anything about who I am or what I do in the world. I looked at him and said, well, I guess you could say that. Is all I know for sure is when you were on that table, there came an army of darkness these dark demons that were fighting to keep you away from your body. And then an army of light beings came in and drove them away and escorted you back into your body. It is, I know it. I saw it with my own eye. I'm going, this is my heart surgeon. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's just Are we sure he's mentally insane? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had no doubt that he was quite sane. Yeah. I mean, that was quite the vulnerable risk that he took there. <sighs> so did he say more about like, I've never seen anything like this before, or this happens oh, yeah. to me sometimes? <laughs> Yeah, he, he spoke for a little bit about all that. But which was it? Is it like, was this normal for him or was this a first time? Oh, no, time? no, no. He never had this happen before. Okay. But he did not doubt. I mean, he's a surgeon. He knows what he sees. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've read his notes, which he didn't include that. But his notes about every single stitch and procedure was written down. And, you know, how I was no oxygen in the brain for 13 minutes, self-revived. I mean, you know. Yeah, so no, he's he was in full presence of his faculties. Yeah, yeah. Holy next day, the assistant surgeon, who was an older man, pretty much does the same thing, comes in my room, sits down, and says, You, sir, are walking miracle. And I want you to know that. You have a job to do, and you better figure it out, and you better devote your life to that job. <laughs> what the heck is going on? Uh, yeah, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Well, you just better get that. I mean, he was like being the gruff. Yeah, grandpa. right. Like, You're like, you know? I think this might be old news, but thank you. Yeah, but <laughs> well, you know, 
Everybody's got to play their role. Yeah. He says, no one, no one survives 13 minutes of no oxygen to the brain, let alone self-revives and has no neurological damage. I said, uh, I got a question about that. This is what? Is how do I know I didn't suffer neurological damage? You all aren't just humoring me. Ha ha ha. <laughs> he looked at me and said, <laughs> because you can ask a question like that. I'm like, yeah. I'll buy it. <laughs> <Good enough. laughs> so, and so, so then, oh. so then I would, my nurse assistant, I remember her name was April. She would come and help me on the walker. You know, you got to exercise, got to walk and, da, 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 and take short walks and longer walks around the, the hallway block. You know. And when we got back one time, I said, I noticed that every time I go out, the nurses in the station, they like pull back, you know, behind their desk and look over here and start doing stuff. And others, you know, they step back into the rooms and close the doors. I said, I know I'm kind of teeter-tottery, but, you know, they're acting like they're scared of me. Just, Mr. Gregori, they all heard your death scream. They know that you died and you came back to life. Is this, they are petrified of you. They don't know what to think about you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. How does all that tie into being a spiritual healer or whatever you want to call it? and the negotiation of our health. Spirit's purpose, clearly, evidently, was not done with me. And so I embrace it. And I embrace it with absolute gratitude. Mm -hmm. And perhaps, I don't know, perhaps the whole purpose was to share this story mm -hmm. that people know that there's more to what's going on than what's going on. Mm. It might be something else totally different. I don't know. Mm. All I can do is live it, express it, and remain in gratitude. Mm. <sighs> this breath of life in gratitude. I mean, I do you so among the many things about that, like, do, do you see that as an example of getting back, you know, like doing that jump, like, as you say, bushwhacking back to your original intent and, and that in this case, it involved like a total medical miracle that brought you back. I mean, am I yes. right in sort of seeing it that way? Yes, with the aid of the spirits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the armies. Holy, I hadn't yeah. heard that part of the story, and I had forgotten a lot of it. It's very yeah. intense and traumatizing. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's not fun to die, but <laughs> you know, it certainly is wonderful to be alive. Yeah. 
Well, it definitely, I think it's, so it's interesting because on the one hand, it a lot, you know, this, your story holds both, both the miraculous potential of shamanic healing and the, you know, holding the imperfection of, you know, like you still have these heart things, you have a pacemaker, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you have the heart damage and in, you know, that isn't uh, something that you can, you know, do further shamanic healing. Right. It's not like I'm somehow miraculously going to grow a new valve in my heart mm. or the electrical nodes are going to regenerate. I don't, you know, I mean, that doesn't seem to be part of the, the game that's going on here. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there is there is something. I mean, we've known each other a lot of years. Yeah. Take a look at me. I'm almost 71 years old. Yeah. You I passed away six years ago. I happen to notice it because I look at myself when I shave and such every day. It's like, dude, you haven't aged a day since you died. You know. I mean, I'm 71. I'm not all wrinkly and gray haired. Well, you are also Asian, just to be devil's advocate. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I have yeah. that too. I'm 52 and people kind of go like, what? Well, you're just naturally gorgeous. Ah, but I'm also <laughs> yes. Asian and yes, there there is that. But I look at myself in comparison to my family members. Oh, my okay. Blood, you know, it's, no, I mean I've noticed a distinction that since the time of my death and recuperation, huh. that because I was pretty wearing, I haven't really aged, and it's like that's curious to me. Yeah. Uh, you know. I mean, I'm not particularly invested in that. It's just curious. Yeah. So, you know, whatever is going on is going on. Yeah. But if I were to put my attention upon, yeah, I'm looking all right for a 71-year-old dude, rather than I've had an experience which can hopefully inspire gratitude and appreciation and a deeper understanding in the lives of others. And I need to like really embody and live that. Mm -hmm. That's the purpose, not, not how I look, mm. but I can't help but notice. Yeah, yeah. I actually, now that you say that, I would say that that, yeah, I see that too. Because you have aged since I first knew you. Yes. But then there, you're right. There is kind of a kind of like pattern. You know, yeah. yeah. I so mean, I mean, I think because I'm dead, I don't age. You don't age when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> then we're all dead together. <laughs> but I think you know, sort of to come back again to your story and like what we what we can take from it or what we can learn from it or appreciate from it. I, I really do think that there's something about how it holds both of those truths about like you know both the potential of you know, the miracle potential of aligning spirit and intention and, and all of that. And then also, um, I think it's humility or something where you accept 
limitation, you know, that there are limits and that you can't just, it's not like you can wave your magic wand and get anything you want. Right. And I think that it's relevant to now you're probably not following the same people I am, but there is a lot of thought in the, in the culture about creating your reality and creating your dream life and this sort of like, you know, magical thinking, I would call it. And mm -hmm. it's like, yes, there is powerful magic in the world. And also it's not gonna be this like, you know, picture perfect idea that you think. Yeah, I would agree with those conceptual frameworks in that we create our experience of our reality. But we don't create the reality outside of ourself itself. We just create our experience of the reality. So I'm experiencing, you know, it's like that story of this, this guy's walking down a road and he comes to a village and there's an old guy sitting at the entrance of the village and, and the man who's approaching from the road says, you know, and they chat for a bit and says, so what are people like in your village? I said, ah, I have people everywhere. What are people like in the village you come from? Oh, you know, they're judgmental, they're nasty, they're that. Yeah, people are the same as here. While later, another fellow comes walking up, the old man, they chat. Well, what are people like in your village? Well, yeah, I like people everywhere. What are they like in the village you come from? Ah, oh, they're so generous and loving and supportive. Yeah, wonderful people. Yeah, that's what people are like in my village too. And so it's about, you know, how do we perceive and experience life? It's not about how the people in the village are. We don't change the nature of the people in the village because we decide we're going to change reality. It's how do we perceive it and experience it? And that's what the old man recognizes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, there's, there's, I think there's a spectrum of attitudes out there in the culture about this, ranging from uh, more pragmatic approaches to creating the life you want, you know, because mm -hmm. like, I mean, on the one hand, like I, I'd help design and build this house. So like I created this house, literally, mm -hmm. right. And there's, we can do that with a lot of things in our life. And, you know, that's sort of like, you know, ordinary kind of creating, <laughs> I think. And then you have people who I think believe that if I like really believe it so completely and I, you know, do these other things that I can like manifest things and I can draw them to me kind of magically. Right. And, you'll wake up one morning and you're really living in the dome that you've always wanted. Well, it may not happen like that, but like they, they're, you know, out talking to someone and then, you know, you get talking and then you get invited and like, hey, we're putting up this dome and we need a test subject to live in it. And so, and then you get the opportunity. So I think that they think about it more like that. Anyway, it's. Uh... Yeah. Well, there's the magical thinking of poof, it's going to happen. And the inspiration, oh, what do I need to do to make this happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And the same is true again with our health. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not 
poof, I'm going to make this happen. And it's like, well, what do I need to do to change this, to shift this, to fulfill my image that I have? And even within that, I think you have different sides of how that acts. Like some of it is mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to start eating right. And then some of it is like the medical miracle <laughs> like that you had in the rare instances, don't you think? Like there's all of it sort of somewhere in there, I think. Yes. I mean, because certainly my life is, is a living example of that. Yeah. So I can't deny that. Yeah. And yet. You just don't want to bank on it. You yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, it's not like, okay, that's the way it is for everyone and everything. It's not that I'm special. It's just like, this is what happened to me. Right. Yeah. I didn't really determine that, you know, other than my saying, oh, uh -uh, I'm going back. Boom. You know, that much I had control over. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I mean, I think that uh, the idea that if I just believe it long enough and sit in my living room, it'll just happen to me. I don't know. Right. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah, it's like affirmations. Yeah. You know, I hear people make affirmations, you know, and I use an example of somebody who's grossly obese and therefore in very poor health and they can't really easily get out of their house, let them go anywhere, work, hold a job or do anything, they're pretty much housebound. And yet they have a tape on their bathroom mirror every morning they recite, I am slim, trim, healthy, wealthy, and wise. I am slim, trim, healthy, wealthy, and wise. What is that person actually doing? Yeah. Right. They're lying. They're lying to themselves. They're lying to themselves. Yeah. And as a consequence, the soul goes, get a grip. I can't trust you. You're not in touch with reality. Nothing yeah. good will come from a lie. Yeah. I don't care how you fluff it up and tie ribbons and bows upon it and call it, you know, manifesting your intention. It's a lie. Mm-hmm nothing yeah. but yeah. if the person were simply to shift the framework of their language i choose being slim trim healthy wealthy and wise then the soul goes yes i've got a job to do and will begin to motivate and redirect the person into the fulfillment of those choices because it's about yeah i've been working with um sort of looking at at the ways that my, I have like conflicting attitudes and beliefs that get in the way of like, you know, like a single thing that maybe I want to mm -hmm. manifest or create and working around that kind of like decluttering, but really sort of working out all of the mixed messages that I have inside of myself. And so I did a piece around money recently and realized that I had so many conflicting attitudes about money yeah. that no wonder it had been such a hard thing for so long. And yeah. once I cleared it out and rededicated myself to a few simple things about money and things that I could like call up easily and that lit me up, like they always, you know, they're like real reliable. It's, I don't have to think about it a lot. Like it's a very, um, 
spontaneous, you know, response. Like after that, my money stuff started to work and I didn't mm -hmm. have to do anything really about it. I still was working. I'm, it's starting to go down because I'm not working, but I have enough money for right now. But um, it was really interesting. And I just realized, you know, we usually have a lot, we are cluttered up with these attitudes that, you know, they really fight with each other. And so that's yeah. like a simple way. And I feel like, you know, shamanism, like working with um, life force energy, like reminds me a little bit of that. Some of the ways that I've heard you talk about that, you know, you're sort of clearing out the stuff that's in the way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, these congestions of life force. Yeah. 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 And the more of those that we have present, our fears, angers, hostilities, whatever they may be, that we, we seek to push down below level just so that we can kind of live a normal life up here. Mm. But after a while, we've pushed this one down here and this one here, this one, that one, and we become immobilized mm. because we're fully occupied in keeping those things in suppression. And so we lose our mobility physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. We become immobilized. And so it's only when we intensely draw those forth into the field of transmutation that we are recharged with that life force contained within those bubbles that we kept suppressed. And the amount of life force expended to keep them suppressed is now freely available to us. And all of a sudden, we're vital and moving and, and free once again. Mm. But yeah that decluttering is, is critical. Mm, mm, yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I really found important was that, you know, that like you know, that pure resonance with whatever it is, rather than like, you know, there's a lot of, oh, my cat has joined us. Excuse me. <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of creative visualization work that I feel like gets very elaborate and ornate and it takes a lot of mental energy to sort of hold the picture in place. Mm -hmm. And I found that that like, you can't sustain that. Like, and right. I think that that probably relates to like, you know, having your life force, like, you know, freely available. Like if you're connecting, if you've got thoughts or, you know, commitments, vows, um, that, it takes a lot of mental energy to sort of reinvest in, then they're gonna fail. It's sort of like a plant that doesn't have enough juice to grow. Yeah. And 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 those tend to fritter away as well because really it's an indication that we're just not clear and secure in yeah. what our heart's desire is. Yeah. As the the elders used to tell me, I don't know why they would ever tell me that. <laughs> they would say short prayers bring quick results. Ah. ah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Don't go into all this flowery explanations and justification. Just boom. Right. What's your heart's desire? Yeah. 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 Well. I think that that's a good note to end on. And Sounds good.
I thank you so much. Um, yes, let me do the closing song of appreciation. Because in our conversation here, we have each brought to the four things that, that we hold great appreciation for. Mm. You know, everything from our friendship through being alive in this moment, through being able to produce a podcast. I mean, there's so much. So with appreciation. of life of each and every one may tune into this podcast may listen may consider thank you all right